Good morning, Sunrise. How are we doing? There's not a ton of you out there. You got to be louder than that. <laughs> How are we doing this morning? All right, there we go. <laughs> My name's Jeff. I'm filling in for uh, Dan Dupuy, the uh, worship director here. So it's good to be back and see some familiar faces. Um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And if you're joining with us um, online, uh, there's always been this phrase and sort of image in the Bible that I've loved, which is, you know, the idea of when two or more are gathered, then God is present. God is there. And uh, that was just a huge theme for me growing up at church camp and stuff, because there, when you worshiped, you really did gather around a fire and you all came together as a camp and, and sang and worshiped. And so if you're uh, online today watching us from your phone or your laptop screen or wherever you are, just know that even if you're sitting there by yourself, you're with us and therefore you're with God. And so we just thank him for that this morning. We th thank him that we can come together and worship him as one family. So with that in mind, let's stand and uh, worship our God.
That is who you are, God. You've gone before us to make a way. You protect us from our enemies. And we just thank you for that today, Lord. And we love you. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, guys. Good morning. My name is Dan Fisher, and it is really great to see you guys today. Well, 95% of you. That's a, that's a joke. Come on. Uh, for those of you who are watching online, thanks for jumping in. We're glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, you've been here for a while, uh, thanks for jumping in this morning. It's a little bit of a darker day outside, and so a lot of the people who were here last week getting ready to go outside and enjoy the sunshine after church are not here. You guys enjoy your beds <laughs> or warmer, brighter locations wherever you are. Uh, before I jump into our conversation this morning, I want to point out a couple of announcements to you. Uh, you guys are looking for ways potentially to join in the life of Sunrise here just to get to know people casually. We like to hang out with each other. Uh, and so we've put together this sheet that's just about done. We've almost gone all the way through the summer, believe it or not. Sorry, people, that stinks. School's coming. Whew. Um, but there are still two exciting activities coming up. We've got a block party that's happening. There it is. On Saturday the 14th from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, that's going to be here. Penny Plowman, our children's director, is kind of putting that together, quarterbacking it. If you want more information or if you want to help make it a great time, shoot her an email right there. Actually, it's at info at sunrisemen.org. On here, it's penny at sunrisemen.org. Both of them will get where they need to go. Second opportunity is uh, summer worship at Hager Park. During the summer, the last Sunday of the month, we've been getting together at Hager Park, outside on the south end, Super relaxed, kids are involved, uh, it's a fun time. So that's going to come up, not at the block party, but on Sunday, August 29, no slide. See, we want to keep you on your toes, that's okay. Um, so those are coming up. Uh, if you have any questions or you want to know more information, you can scan that QR code that's on the chair in front of you. Sometimes it pops up here on the screen as well, uh, but we're glad that you're here. If you have any questions, anything that comes up, whether you're online or in the room, let us know. You can use the QR code there to fill out a quick form. You can send an email to info at Sunrise Man, whatever that is that's most helpful for you. Uh, let me pray for us before we jump in. God, we come to you this morning as people who carry around in our heads and in our lives all kinds of different stories. Stories that we tell ourselves about you, uh, stories we tell ourselves about the people around us, um, stories about how the world would just be right if we would only, <laughs> or how maybe we might not ever be whatever it is. And so, God, we come to you this morning in this space, uh, whether physically present or audibly, whatever that is, uh, whether we recognize it or not, to sync our stories with yours. And so, God, I pray that in the midst of everything that's been going on, in the midst of death, in the midst of new life, uh, preparing for school, disappointments that have come, that have ruined some plans, all of those kinds of things prompt all kinds of questions and all kinds of stories in our minds. And so we come to you this morning 
with our hands open, asking you to dissect, to intersect our stories in ways that help us to see you and ourselves as you see us. In Christ's name, amen. Stories are fun, aren't they? Okay, apparently not, just for me. That's okay. Um, we all tell ourselves stories, right? I grew up telling myself all kinds of stories, and you're probably going to relate to some of these. You've heard me talk about some of them before, but how many of you grew up in the church? You're in West Michigan, so 98% of us. Great. The stories I accumulated growing up in church and in Christian school uh, were that I had to be good enough. I, if I lied to my parents, I felt awful inside because that meant, well, not just that my parents were upset with me, but that God was too. And I remember <laughs> laying in the top bunk of my bed, because I was in the top bunk and my twin sister was on the bottom bunk. For those of you who don't know, boy and girl twins cannot be identical, so don't ask that. <laughs> but I remember laying on that top bunk bed, crying myself to sleep, begging for God to love me because I got in trouble at school, or because I got picked on at school, or because I didn't know if I actually loved my twin sister the way that I was supposed to. Do you guys resonate with that at all? You don't have to raise your hand, but then you grow up and you continue to tell yourselves stories. If you had parents who loved you really well when you followed the rules, but then either physically or verbally hit you or relationally distanced themselves from you, then you likely tell yourself the story that if you are not good enough for them, then you're not good enough for God. And if you don't do exactly what it is your roommate or your spouse or your friends tell you that you need to do, then there's something wrong with you, not just your actions, but with you as a person. Does that feel kind of a little bit familiar to you guys? Like just internally for you, maybe not those exact stories, but I think we all walk in those shoes sometimes, right? Maybe it's not specifically with the expectations of other people, but we welcome into the world a brand new baby, and they're great, and then they poop everywhere. And they stay awake when they're supposed to be asleep. <laughs> and they're asleep when they're supposed to be awake. And all of these friends who you had before you had kids are wondering where you are because they don't have kids yet and they don't understand that you do have kids and your life has to look completely different. <laughs> you don't know if you fit in there anymore. Then you have this pandemic that happens. <laughs> and all of these stories that we've been telling ourselves over the years about what the political world should look like or who God is or what our relationships look like and who we are as people suddenly feels a lot of tense pressure, right? The stories that we tell ourselves are pretty strong. It, try to convince someone who's really down on themselves that they don't need to be, that they are loved, and you're likely to face an uphill battle with that person. That's why you go to counselors, right? You pay them to be the per person to tell you that you're okay, try to help you figure things out. That's why I see a counselor. <laughs> Part of the reason why, because my stories are so strong. And I don't think that we are the only people on this globe who tell ourselves these kinds of stories that often trend toward we're not good enough. I think it's happened all around the globe. I think it's happened all throughout history, and I think it happens 
here in this story that we're looking at today in Acts chapter 13. Now, I'm going to get to this chapter in a moment, but I want to keep going in the direction of these stories. And part of the reason why is this last week, this weekend that um, we're in, we came back, my family and I, from being away at the cabin for a week. And it was great. During that time, I read a couple of books. Um, it was our anniversary while we were there. So Stephanie and I talked about all kinds of stories. One of the books I read is called Try Softer. This is a really good book. I would recommend it to any of you, to all of you, whether you're in the room or not, whether this is your church or not, whether you are a student or not. This is a wonderful book. Why am I telling you this? Because for me, being at the cabin, stepping away from life a little bit, celebrating an anniversary processing through everything that's been happening over the last year or so and reading a book like this, it just created a really good space for what are the stories I'm telling myself and it just happened to overlay really nicely with the passage for today. So one of the things that this book, this book talks about, you've probably heard about too, is that with our stories, uh, we can be white knucklers, right? <laughs> Growing up, I had to white knuckle myself through the Christian school that I went to. I couldn't wear jeans. I had to wear a belt if I had belt loops and I had to tuck my shirt in or I got in trouble. Well, I white knuckled it and I did it anyway. If I disappointed people and they didn't know yet, I would white knuckle it and pretend that everything was okay so that they wouldn't find out and I would just pretend and then I would cry on my bunk bed at night. It was awful. But that's what white knuckling is like. So this book, White Knucklers, Us, we consciously or unconsciously ignore the internal warning signs from our minds and our bodies to come with situations that are overwhelming or disturbing. Break that down. We all have situations where life gets tough, right? Somebody's bullying you, you disappoint someone else, and you feel this sense of, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? And out of that, we generate a story. I'm not good enough. I just have to suck it up. If only they don't know, it won't hurt them. All those kinds of things is what this is kind of getting to. And what we do is we learn to overfunction, not out of choice, but as a way to survive. <laughs> this approach carries us over into everyday life because we don't know a different way. We can overfunction by trying to manage the expectations of other people, the perceptions of other people, trying to please them. Because if they will accept us, then maybe we can accept us, and maybe then God will accept us too. So I'll put a little bit more money in the offering plate. Or I'll show up on Sunday even though I don't want to. Or, I'll make sure that I dress up really nice for Sunday morning and that my kids are quiet in the room because if not, I'll get judged for it. This carries over in ways that we don't see, but some of the symptoms are that we ignore our signs of exhaustion, of pain, or of hunger. This is getting somewhere, I promise you. We can bounce between feeling motivated by and then overwhelmed by our emotions. We go through seasons of profound exhaustion, depression, or numbness because we've been overfunctioning. Numbing out, <laughs> Netflix, you guys? You guys do that? Or am I the only one? Yeah, okay, a couple of you honest people in here. Yeah, numb out a little bit. Forget all of the tension that's inside. We minimize our emotions. Oh, you know what? What I'm going through isn't that bad. I can suck it up. I can just push harder. We can be overwhelmed by emotions that we've ignored for too long. You ever exploded at somebody? Didn't really know why? <laughs> They didn't really know why. Maybe it's because you're white-knuckling, because the story you're telling yourself is a story 
that you feel like an imposter to inhabit. We can ignore signs of exhaustion, pain, or hunger. We can bounce between feeling motivated by, I already read these, this is a repeat. (laughs) But this happens so much in the church. I mean, in Acts, which is the book we've been looking at, the high priest, this is the religiously professional followers of the church, and their associates were filled with jealousy, and so they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. We read in Acts chapter 5. There was a story that the high priest and his associates were telling themselves, which was, we know who God is, and we know what church should look like. If I use the language that I grew up with and I just gave you an example of, we know that good people don't wear jeans, that they wear belts and they tuck in their shirts. We know that good followers of God don't say this, they do say this, and there is no way they're going to be caught up in these activities, right? The problem is when that story is so embedded in us, so embedded in these high priests, that when someone steps forward and says, that's not the real story, we feel a tension inside, right? You guys still tracking with me here? And we can respond to this story that says, no, (laughs) Dan, you don't have to work hard enough to be good enough. Your worth is not dependent on whether you are accepted by or whether you disappoint other people. Because that's for me the story and for you whatever story you've been telling yourself, the story that is strongest in our minds. And we can respond either with jealousy, like the high priests do, and white knuckle ourselves through things and try to control the situation, or we can't. If we look further in Acts chapter 6, we find that they stirred up the people, these high priests. They went around to people and started talking to them, tapping them on the shoulder, texting them, sending them emails, talking with them in family fair, stirring them up, and the elders, and the teachers of the law. We're going to get everybody who agrees with us on our side. And they seized Stephen and they brought him in. Who is Stephen? (laughs) Follower of Jesus who was willing to declare to the people around him, the story you're telling yourself that you have to be good enough is wrong. After Stephen goes through this story of Scripture, trying to communicate to them, if you would just see that God loves you and will be with you no matter what, and you don't have to prove yourselves They respond not by saying, okay, maybe the story I'm telling myself is wrong. They respond instead by covering their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. This is what our three-year-olds do, right? They rushed at him. They drag him out of the city, and they began to stone him. And Saul approved of their killing Stephen. How strong does an internal story have to be for us to treat people like this, huh? I mean, we're not literally covering our ears and yelling at people, maybe, at least on Facebook. We're not dragging people out onto Chicago Drive and throwing rocks at them to kill them, but relationally, we often do the same thing, do we not? To protect our own stories, to protect our own power. But then in Acts chapter 9, this Saul, who is approving of the way that the religious people are acting, is intersected by a story from God where in that story, this is what Saul hears. I am Jesus. Well, that right there by itself is a pretty big deal, right? I've not woken up on a Tuesday and heard, hey, I'm Jesus. 
My son doesn't do that. It's one thing to say, hey, the person who is talking to you right now is Jesus, number one, but number two, I am the person you are persecuting. Now, that puts a different spin on things, doesn't it? Church person, you think you're doing the right thing by pushing people down because they won't climb up the ladder of your professional church expectations. They're challenging the way that you see spirituality. But when you do that to those people, you are pushing not just them down, but you are pushing me down, Jesus says. This causes me to point a lot of fingers at myself, right? I mean, I can point my finger at people who call themselves Christians and do certain things or don't do certain things, and I can inwardly, mentally picture them and pick up stones, intellectual stones in my mind and pulverize them (laughs) with intellectual stones because, doggone it, you don't agree with me. Please tell me I'm not the only one who does this. Do you do this too? You can say no, just to let me know that you hear me. Do you do this too? Okay, good. (laughs) See, here's the problem. When we grow up like the high priests, like Saul did, we look at the stories of Scripture, we look at the people around us, and we think to ourselves, I don't fit. (laughs) I'm not Moses. I'm not Ruth. I'm not David. I'm not Jonah. Yeah, these people messed up, but God had their back. Like, they were special people. (laughs) There's no way I would make it into the Bible. I have a history of looking at porn, or I have a history of gambling, or I've cheated on my spouse, or I let someone stomp all over me. There's no way that God would love me. But I gotta white knuckle it. I gotta I gotta push through and try to communicate to people that I still fit in. And so anytime someone pushes against my story in a way that causes me to demote my view of myself, where I'm the one who is in control, or when someone pushes a story on me that requires me to submit to it and to live within it, or a story that gives some kind of external purpose separate from my own sense of self-purpose. I want to push back against that. This is what happens. I mean, Paul, Saul, this Paul guy, who he's called both names. There actually is no point in the book of Acts where Jesus says, God says, okay, your name was Saul, now it's Paul. That's a misunderstanding. He's called both. But anyway, this Saul... Is persecuting people. His story that he has collected inside of himself is the tradition and the beliefs of the people he's walked through life with. Just like for me, the stories that I can carry inside of myself are the stories that I've collected from my parents, from my middle school teachers, from my high school teachers, from the church I grew up in, from the youth pastor that I grew up with. All of those stories saturate my life just like they've saturated yours, and you walk through life carrying those stories, and it's those stories and our opinions of ourselves and of the people around us that lead to how we treat the people around us. This is why Saul was so wholeheartedly given to persecuting people. The problem that he faces on this road to Damascus, like I pointed out to you, is not the road to Damascus. He's on this road and Jesus comes and says to him, I am Jesus and you are persecuting me. That is a point where two stories collide and one of them must win. 
You still with me? The problem with the story of Jesus, the story that says, Dan, your view of yourself is wrong, is that in American social media, that's not okay. American news, that's not okay to be told that you're wrong. Because with the click of a button, and by picking another one of the 400 churches in West Michigan, you can step outside of that circle and join another circle with a story that you want to hear because you've been telling it yourself for so long is the story that you will continue to hear. But what Jesus is saying, what Saul is hearing, is that there is a different story that challenges the way we grew up. That says, you know what, Dan? (laughs) What you think might not be right. I know Dan, I know person in West Michigan. I grew up here, so when I say this stuff, I am not throwing a rock at people, and I know that when I say this, I'm not talking about everybody. But I think I am talking about a lot of us. We serve a God who comes to us and says, you don't have to be Good enough. You don't have to be the person who writes your own story, who wears the weight of the world on your shoulders. Instead, you need to simply know the story of God who shows up over and over and over and over and over again and is there with the mom who is holding a baby in the middle of a desert, completely rejected by everyone, and yet is still seen and loved by God. When you look at scriptures, you find David who sleeps with another man's wife, who then kills the husband, does all kinds of awful things that if they were in our church now, not here, but in a lot of the churches we grew up in, they'd be thrown out. And yet David is the person through whom God's promise to deliver us comes. That's not a story that fits well with what we tell ourselves about who the people of God are, is it? So the invitation from God, from Jesus, from Saul as he interacts with people is that we would allow this story of God's goodness, of his love for us no matter what, that we would allow that to push against our stories, recognize that it demands a demotion that says, I'm not the author of my story, God is. And it demands my devotion to live as a character in the story of God. That gives me an external purpose that is solid and not tied to the expectations of other people. But that's hard to do because that requires us to become vulnerable, right? Because what's my role going to be? If I follow this story, there are going to be a whole lot of people who are upset with me. I've told you guys this before and it's tongue-in-cheek, but I think it's true for a lot of us. I grew up in a world where it would be a whole lot harder for me to leave the political ideology that I grew up with than to leave the spiritual ideology that I grew up with. It would have been harder for me to say, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, whatever it is, and to be accepted, than for me to say, I'm not a Christian anymore, and to be accepted. That's not okay. So let's make this, let's make this personal. Try to land this plane a little bit. What's the reason that you feel anger, fear, or shame? I'm not asking you to answer this out loud. You can answer it in the whole privacy of your own mind. In the moments that you feel angry or in the moments that you feel shame, 
or in the moments that you feel fear, if you were really honest, why would you say you feel those ways? When I'm angry, maybe this is you too, it can be because I don't, I'm not getting my way. Doggone it, kids, go to bed. It's been a long day. That's how I talk to them too. I'm really kind. Or if I'm full of fear, I mean, I'm just as human as you guys are. I feel really good on a Sunday morning when this place is full last week, and then I feel a little bit ugh, fearful. It's a strong word, but it's true. When there are fewer people in the room, why? Why do I feel that way? Because I can't control those things. But the story I tell myself is that I should. Why do you feel shame? Because you can tell yourself like I did when I was picked on as a kid. I'm a bad person. That's why they're picking on me. I'm a bad person. That's why my spouse says those things. And then we become the authors of how our stories should be. Well, in order to control that, in order to get my way, in order to not feel bad, I'll do these things. Now we'll jump into Acts 13. Here we have the story that Saul communicates to these people who are against him. Saul now, at this point in the story, is someone who has said, you know what, the, the story that I grew up with that says I have to follow all of these rules, I can't let people down, God loves me if I do the right things, I'm going to set that aside because I don't believe it anymore and it's led me to treat people terribly and I will instead embrace this story. Here is the story that he tells. Fellow Israelites and Gentiles, right there is a problem in itself. People who are like me and people who are not like me. People who have been told they're allowed inside of the church and people who have been told they're not. White people, brown people, black people, yellow people, drunk people, sober people, faithful people, unfaithful people who worship God. Listen to me. This is the story to embed your life in. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors and he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. And with mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. Does that surprise you, that comment right there? Because the story we tell ourselves can be that they were in the desert that long because God was punishing them. When in actuality, the story is that God for that long was putting up with them graciously, waiting for them to subscribe to his story. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. This is a generous, beautiful God who cares for his people. All this took about 450 years. Good Lord, that's a long time. I don't want to have to help my daughter floss her now braced teeth for two years. This is a God who for 450 years was gracious to us. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. David testified about David. I'm sorry, God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to to do. Why do I have that highlighted? He'll live within my story. He's not going to get it perfectly right. 
he's going to have an affair. He's going to kill somebody. But doggone it, he's going to embed his life in my story. From this man's descendants, from David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. And before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. And John does something that so many leaders in the church doesn't, so many leaders in the church don't do today. As he was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one you are looking for. I am not the one who's going to help you fix your life. John says, I, Dan Fisher, am not the one who is going to make Sunrise the church that we want it to be. Sunrise, you're not the person. You're not the people that's going to make Sunrise, that's going to make West Michigan the place that it needs to be. Are you okay with that? But there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation, this new story has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers, they didn't recognize Jesus. This crew that I ran with before, this squad, they, they didn't recognize him. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that I read every Sabbath. They fulfilled exactly what it is they told people not to do themselves. Where did it go? Is that it? No. Did I get it there? Okay, thank you. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. It was the religious church that said, Look out for the Messiah. Follow all of the rules, and when God comes, he's going to be the one who makes us right. And yet somehow, this group of people who spent so much time studying the law of God, when Jesus came as God himself, who was willing to say, I will take on your story, I will be the author of your life if you will just subscribe to my story, instead of actually doing what the God of heaven invited them to do by saying, your story is right, they said, no, 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 our story is right. And so they literally killed Jesus by going to the government. Saul goes on to say, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, by the way, he's saying friends to people in the room who both already subscribe to the story and those who don't. (laughs) What a perspective is that? I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, not through your church, not through your small group, not through following the rules, but through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you in your story are unable to obtain under the law of Moses. The law of Moses here is shorthand for thinking that you've got to follow all of the rules in order to make your way to God. Take care that when the prophets have said that what they've said doesn't happen to you, and these are the words that can push people away because it forcefully pushes on all of us the idea that if we reject the story, we become scoffers ourselves. But Saul, being a faithful representative of the story of God's movement in the world, says, look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. (laughs) 
For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. Saul knows that at some point there are people who are going to look at the story of God and say, you know what? Forget it. Like, <laughs> what I grew up with, yeah, I know I'm a mess, but I'm just, I'm going to stick with it. I think I can figure this out. I'm going to white-knuckle it through life. What Saul is saying is, don't do that. If you do that and you think you have to work, you're not seeing God as who he really is. You're not seeing yourself as who you really are. We tell ourselves things like, God will leave us if he thinks that we don't love him enough. I have too many stretch marks. I have too many incisions from surgeries that my spouse doesn't look at me the same way anymore. And so neither does God. I have kids who don't listen to me. They don't even think I'm worth listening to. How in the world would the God of heaven think that I'm worth listening to when I pray? You guys ever felt these kinds of things? The problems in this world are so big, I have no idea how to address them. How can a God who is good and see all of this stuff not jump in in such an obvious way and make things right? I ask those kinds of questions too. And with the lack of clear, firm answers where we can control things, we forget about who God is and what he actually says and commits to doing, and I love the sound of a baby. Let these be the words that help you surface a bit the story of God. I hope that these are encouraging things for you. Though the mountains be shaken, the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. If those were blanks there, how would you fill them in? Yet my unfailing love for you will blank. Be honest with yourself. That last line there says, the Lord who has blank on you. How would you fill that in? Are you willing to let that word be compassion? Deuteronomy chapter 31, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you unless things get really hard or you disappoint him or you gain a few pounds. Then God's going to forsake you. Then you should be afraid and you should be really discouraged. That's what we tell ourselves, isn't it? No, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't put the weight of the world on your shoulders. Don't be discouraged. There are all kinds of other verses here that you can look up that have uh, accurate things for us to know about how God sees us and how we should live and operate in this world. Going back to Acts chapter 13, there are three things that I want to point out as things that we can take with us because I know that for me, this is great to hear, it's great to talk about, it's fine to sit in a chair and be told these things, but it's hard to leave this space as a student who's going back to school to see the teachers and the students and the coaches and the teammates who have done certain things that help you feel differently. It's hard to go back into those spaces and to maintain this story that God loves us. And he is compassionate towards us because so many people feel like they don't love us and they're not compassionate toward us. 
It can be hard for us to know what to do when it feels like we are by ourselves trying to convince ourselves of a story that we don't even know is true. So there are things that happen in Acts chapter 13 that I think are immediately helpful for us. Number one, who's your Barnabas? This is the question for you. At the very beginning of Acts chapter 13, the end of chapter 12, you have Saul who's going on these trips with Barnabas. Barnabas is known as the encourager in the New Testament. Do I think that was an accidental thing? No. (laughs) Do I think that it's important for us to ask ourselves who's the encourager going with us as we navigate the waters and the land of life? Yeah, I do. I think that's really important. I think that's why Jesus said, follow me. Who is your Barnabas? Who is walking with you in a way where the story that God is telling is the story that you're clinging to? Number two, do you know the story? Have you taken the time to look at Scripture, to not just listen to some short leprechaun-looking guy on a stage tell you what the Bible says? Are you willing to let me be the one who tells you how God sees you? I'm going to do the best I can. I will always do the best that I can, but I am not God. (laughs) Do you know The story. Over and over again, Saul and Stephen and others are telling this exact same story to the point where it can feel like, guys, give it up. Like, I know this part. I can fast forward through it. Do you know the story? Number three, can you let go of other people's expectations? I know that in a church, you can feel like what's expected of you is to show up every Sunday morning. But you've got to give a certain amount of money that you have to join a small group. If you don't do those things and you're not in good standing with the church and then therefore you're not in good standing with God and so forget it, I'm not even going to do it. We are a church. (laughs) Right now my wife and kids are at home. They're not here at church. Terrible Christians, aren't they? Send them an email. They're exhausted. This has been an awful year for our family. An awful two months. They needed to be at home to rest this morning. Do I worry about what you guys might think about that? If I'm honest, yeah, sometimes I do. But I'm willing to let that go. (laughs) Because they need a space where they can be at home and they can rest and be reminded again that it's not about performing. And just because some people might be disappointed because you decided to stand up for someone who shouldn't be stood up for. Or someone is bothered because you didn't put the money in this plate, but instead you gave it to single-parent missions. (laughs) Forget that stuff. Forget those expectations. Find a Barnabas. That's why we set up these events. That's a pretty smooth catch. That's why we put this stuff together. That's why we have tables and beanbags set up with Legos. That's why we tell you as often as we can. I didn't say it today. I should have. Your kids are welcome here. They are not a hurdle to our community. They are an important part of our community because that is the true story. The story that your kids drive people nuts is a terrible story. And if they are driving people nuts, forget those people. Jump into something that we're doing. If you're looking for a Barnabas, dang it, we're trying to set up dates so you can find them. Find somebody in your life who's going to encourage you. Show up to be in someone else's life to encourage them about the true story of who God is. 
Because I don't know about you guys, but I am sick of a Western church in the United States. I'm saying this in a blanket way. It's not every church. (laughs) That instead of just letting the story of God saturate our lives, is willing to pick up whatever we can and throw it at people. It's no good. So God, we pray that in the middle of lives where we have all kinds of stories that we accumulate, that the stories we listen to would be the stories that you share of your faithfulness, of your goodness, of always being with us. That we would remember the truths of your word that say that we are loved, that we are accepted. We would believe that I am a child of God, I am Jesus' friend, that through Jesus I am a joint heir sharing his inheritance. God, it is so easy to look at our bodies when things don't go well, broken bones or busted knees or whatever it is. It can be hard to remember sometimes that I am still a temple of God. God, would you remind us this week that we are redeemed and we are forgiven, that we are complete in your Son, that we are free from condemnation, that because of your Son, we are established, we are anointed, and we are sealed by God. And that instead of being your enemies, as Paul says, we are now your co-workers. God, you have been exceedingly good to us. We know that if we ask you for wisdom, you will give it. And so in the midst of the stories that we live, as we try to subscribe again to the story that you're telling us, would you help us to gain the wisdom that we need to follow you well, to cling to your story and to give up the bum stories that we tell ourselves. In Christ's name, amen. At the end of every service, we give an opportunity to respond. We do that by singing. We do that by giving you an opportunity to give. You can do that in an analog kind of way back there. You can do giving electronically by scanning the QR code. You don't have to give. That's not why we're here. We're here to try to create a space where we can see and celebrate again the story of God. That's why we sing songs. That's why you listen to me talk up here for a while. Well, at least why I get up here to do it, to try to help you out. You guys are loved. The stories of feeling like you have to measure up are not true. We serve a God who is a way maker, a God who loves us no matter what. And I don't even know what this next song is, but it's true. (laughs) Live into that story and not some bum story that's just wrong.
the end of this chapter, after Saul shares this story that's true, uh, the group divides. You've got people who believe the story and people who don't. And God is faithfully present with the people who embrace that story, and he continues to lead the church forward, not because of the work of those people, but because of his faithful presence. So join us in that. We believe that if we would live and move and breathe within that story of God's love for us and for the world that we can transform the world with God's grace and love. So this week, as you go into whatever it is that you have, know that God goes with you. There could have been all kinds of prepositions that were there. God goes over you or instead of you, but instead he goes with you in a posture of love. Have a great week, Sunrise. We love you.